JV Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 85 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about starting up and scaling up InsureTech with Alex Bond from FinPro. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. We are here as we record this. It is Friday, April 15th, 2022. Uh, for those of us here in the great United States of America, that means it's tax day. That's when we pay the piper. We take those checkbooks out and we cut those uh, 50 pounds of flesh and send it to the federal government. Uh, Rob, uh, happy tax day? Yeah. Um, no, not happy at all. And I'm still filing them. We have the extra weekend, right? It's technically not due until Monday for some obscure reason. You think it would be because it's Friday, but I guess there's some weird like local holidays. Um, I guess people in like Maine and Massachusetts because of Patriots Day, they don't actually have to turn it until Tuesday, but the rest of us, Texas and elsewhere, have to turn it on Monday. So I'm I'm in the middle of mine, and yes, I'm going to owe something. Yeah, no, my extension's already been filed. So uh, that's the uh, the annual ritual of filing the extension on tax day. Uh, when your when your taxes are extremely complicated, it, uh, it 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 means that the extension's getting filed with us from a country that doesn't care about American Tax Day. In fact, it's uh, you know maybe they make fun of us for it. I don't know. It's like whenever I get to July Fourth, I always think it's the we we always joke it what's like the insolent traders day in the UK is July 4th you know it's <laughs> when, when, when we when we rebelled against our british overlords with us not a british overlord not a british <laughs> oligarch he's just an all-around british good guy alex bond how's it going alex yeah i'm good i'm good i'm glad that i'm not having to live through tax day cuz uh <laughs> i don't know much about us taxes but i know it's uh, it's enough that it's all on, on almost every film every tv program um <laughs> everyone talks about it around this time so yeah. uh it sounds like a painful thing i don't want to be part of myself how how does it even work there like what do you uh what what do y'all do do you pay on a on a day do you pay quarterly i mean when do you file your taxes um it depends on your um personal situation if if you're employed you're pretty much it gets taken out at source um and unless you've got comp- additional investments you probably don't have to pay anything um if you're like me and you run a limited company and you pay yourself in dividends then it's a little bit more complicated and you do it on a yearly basis but um that just talking about it brings me into a cold sweat, which is the reason why I pay someone to look after that for me. Because um, <laughs> I spent a few years battling that trench on my own. And uh, after getting a few fines for getting it wrong or getting it <laughs> or paying yeah. it late, I thought some things are just better to outsource. And that was one of them. This is definitely one of them. Uh, yes. Definitely one of them. I use a qualified professional, even though I have an accounting degree. Uh, studied this in college. I still don't do it myself. <laughs> I, I shovel the paperwork and say, figure it out. Uh, so yeah. uh, happy uh, happy tax week to all those Americans out there. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're not paying too much to the uh, to the federal government. And uh, hope everybody out there in listener land is ready to geek out for another InsureTech Geek podcast. Before we get started, don't forget you can subscribe to the InsureTech Geek podcast by texting geek out to 66866. That's geek out 
to 66866. Make sure you never miss an episode. So if you're like live streaming this video on any of the places we live stream the video, we, we live stream on Twitter and on Facebook and on LinkedIn, and we upload the video to Vimeo, and then you know we're on all the uh, different podcast channels, but uh, you can you can just subscribe to the podcast, 66866, to geek out. Um, so back to you, Alex Bond from FinPro. He's currently founder and CEO at FinPro, where he's been for the last seven years, but we are here to not talk about uh, that just yet. We're going to talk about FinPro in a minute. Um, before we do that, I want to talk about Mr. Bond, Alex Bond. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> all right, you're talking to a guy with the initials JB who's named James. Uh, so needless to say, I love 007. Daniel Craig mm-hmm. is my second favorite 007. Uh, he's my second favorite Bond. Of course, my first favorite being Sean Connery, because no yeah. one, and I mean no one, will be greater than the OG. I was get, I was getting nervous there, James. I was yeah. like, if he gets this wrong, I'm off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No one's greater than the OG. But you're, 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 you share you share the surname with the man himself. So, uh, where were you born and raised, and what did you dream of doing when you were a kid? Well, interestingly, to your um, hobby of flying, um, I dreamed of being, I was obsessed with being a fighter pilot when I was a kid. Um, I'm from a, I'm from a town um, called Chelmsford, which is in Essex, which is a sort of county just outside London. Uh, we're about 35 miles from London. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fighter pilot. Um, I was obsessed with that, but um, I have bad, I have bad eyesight and epilepsy. So those things are not good ingredients for you know the eyesight training. can be overcome but the epilepsy is uh, a little bit of a challenge when when did you yeah. did you find out that you had epilepsy when you were a small child is that when it manifested itself or was it later on yeah i was about, I was about 10 years old um, i had my first fit at school it was all very dramatic um, scared the life out of all of my classmates and then yeah it's it's not something i i suffer with now i kind of we they don't really know why but some people have it and then it just leaves them and and, and I, about the time I learned to drive it wasn't no longer with me but unfortunately that still rules me out from flying very expensive jet aircraft <laughs> yeah they're like well it happened before so it yeah. might happen again and exactly if you, if you uh you know we have a lot of flashing lights in airplanes and uh there's a lot of flashing lights on the ground there's a lot of flashing lights in the sky and so I could see why they might be a bit reluctant uh to to put you up there you know could could be a bit challenging right yeah yeah and and i've subsequently found out i'm quite scared of heights as well so none of these things uh i was aware of as a small child so oh my um, goodness <laughs> yeah what are you gonna do with that right so yeah. um uh, so so you dreamed of being a fighter pilot you grew up outside of london uh, you, you go to college for uh, business management and uh, then you jump straight in to commercial insurance claims what was the what what was it? That, you know, a lot of people don't like go straight in out of college into claims. They you know they have they have like a couple of steps before they get into insurance. Uh, what yeah. what about what about insurance uh, attracted you to the space? Well, you're you're looking at the the rose tinted glasses LinkedIn version of my career. So there was a there was a point in time where I fell out with my parents when I I used to work in cocktail bars and. I, I used to run bar consultancy, so I would go and design cocktail bar menus, and I would work in events, and um, yeah, I loved it. And I and I thought this is what I'm going to do for a job, and 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 my mother, let's be honest, was very disappointed. Uh, yeah, uh, to to say the least, right? Like... <laughs> yeah, um, she did not agree with me that 
Tom Cruise's top, you know. Cocktail was one of the greatest movies cocktail. ever made, and I don't care what anybody says. If you follow the theme of thinking, I'm essentially following um, Tom Cruise's career advice. Fight a pilot for Top Gun. Yeah. If that if that doesn't work, go into uh, go into cocktail. Um, like when he used to throw should've... when he used to throw the bottles, and they had the big bar there, and then he ends up like, what a great movie! What a great yeah. movie! It's it's it, it doesn't hold up quite as well, but I still love it. I've got a, lot, <laughs> a, big, I've got a big affection for it. Um, are you saying I need but, to watch? Are you saying I need to watch it again to to get a feel for? <laughs> for what you should happened. you should rewatch it. Um, it's still fun. It's still a lot of fun. I mean, I'd still uh, encourage people to watch it. But um, but yeah, I, I did a lot of events things, and then and then you know I sort of coming. I did that during college, and then at the end, and then my mum sort of was like, right. Are you going to go and wear a suit to work, please? Um, we we didn't invest in your university for you to go and work in a bar. So, um, and insurance is the same story like everyone else. I, I I walked into an open day for RSA that were hiring people in claims, and you know they offered me the princely sum of I don't know it's the equivalent of about twenty you know twenty thousand dollars a year and i was like i'm rich let's go um and and so i just stumbled into it like everyone else that's my origin story yeah you're like hey why not sounds like a lot of money right now it does sound like a lot of money when you're eating grilled cheese sandwiches and uh you know yeah. whatever whatever you guys eat uh you're, you're not into vegemite over there that's your australian cousins isn't it no that's that's when you're a student in the uk i'm sure this is kind of universal it's just you buy the biggest size of pasta you can buy in a shop and then you and then you eat that with anything that's on hand whether that be tuna tomato sauce cheese <laughs> um anything that's the staple so yeah that's living off that twenty thousand dollars is a lot of money did you know the british are known for their health food it's really quite remarkable they're known for how healthy their food is <laughs> i think our food our food's good we just we really like trashy food. You but, but really, think, you really like trashy food in England. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we basically are slightly in love with anything American. So if Americans are going, oh, here's some fast food, like Britain's very quickly going, well, that must be good because it's from America. Uh, we'll eat that. Um, yeah, but uh, it, we're not the healthiest eaters, um, but we should be there's a lot of produce here we should be doing fine but um i don't think we're as healthy as we are <laughs> uh, we should be it could 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 be it could be better it could be yeah. better like a hundred like a hundred like a hundred percent could be better <laughs> <laughs> well let's let's talk about how you wound up you you went to commercial insurance claims at rsa then you went to manager insurance team london at hayes then you went to the manager at eames consulting group i mean what what were you learning through all this like what lines of business did you work in what parts of the insurance business did you really get to know before you jumped into what you're doing now hayes is is my first recruitment job so i i, I didn't even make a full year in insurance i um i was doing commercial claims i was working with broking clients who had uh, large uh, fleets i was doing a lot of auto um, and I loved the client interaction. I loved managing the clients, uh, and even when they were being difficult or demanding or hard work, I liked that side of it. Um, and then I had a chat with my boss and I thought I, there was a role called the claims relationship manager. And I said, I, I really want that role. Um, and they said, oh, we can see you doing that in, in about six years time. <laughs> and, and, and that role was paying like 
fifty thousand dollars and i'm like i'm not waiting six years to earn fifty thousand like absolutely no chance um so i I couldn't get out there quick enough so i i had two guys that i knew at university they were doing really well in the recruitment sector so um i started having a, a look for opportunities and then i was contacted by hayes and they had because I had this nine months experience in insurance. They were like, "Well, you're an insurance expert, <laughs> so, you can, so you so you can come and work in our insurance recruitment team." And um, and then I yeah I I've stayed in the sector um, from a recruitment perspective in various different guises ever since. So he must yeah, know the- he must know what he's doing. He worked there all of nine months. <laughs> Like I feel, well, I, mean, like, I feel like nine months into my insurance journey that I was just trying to understand what the hell a policy was. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no idea what a policy was. I don't think at that point. I um, well, the first thing I did, so I I I went into I specialized in claims recruitment because I kind of understood it, and um, I knew what everyone was getting paid at RSA because I was on the same wages, and then when. QBE opened up down the road, MS Amlin opened up down the road, and there was a couple of other businesses, one called Highway. There was all these competing businesses, and I found out what they were all paying. So I just would phone my old colleagues and go, did you know you can get 5000 bucks more if you move down the road? Um, and so I think I moved nine people from my old team within the first six months. So um, I wasn't very popular at RSA, um, but they wouldn't take me on as a client. So bad luck for them and um yeah, yeah. i started well, suck it but, up <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly pay the money or move along and um but no i loved it i, I i've loved recruitment ever since i've started it I, I love that client interaction um you know and it's very unfiltered yeah and you're providing a need right so companies yeah. can't grow if they can't attract talent and if you can be the solution to that then it's a nice it's a nice relationship to have so yeah it's been that way since since I joined Hayes back, I don't even know the date. I think you've got it in front of you. I don't think I could tell you what year I started. Yeah, no, 2007. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, yeah 15 so, years. So, I mean, but, you know, head, let's just talk about headhunting for a second. I'm not sure. a big fan of headhunters, okay? I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you, know you, you, gotta, you, you, you have some that are really good. And, man, you seem like a good guy. You know, you seem yeah. like a good guy. But so, you got, so what's the negative you got, You've got a... Uh, you got an industry where you got a lot of colleagues who just intentionally churn accounts. You know, they, hmm. they, 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 they move people around because they generate fees off of movement. There's no, there's no fee generation if you put people there and just keep them there forever. And you do a great job of driving turnout turnover down at your clients. And so hmm. there are markets where headhunters get really, really, really aggressive and just churn the hell out of the labor market in that area. And obviously uh, that and that costs that costs companies a lot of money. So, you know, tell me like you know the downside of of headhunting and executive placement. Uh, well, firstly, I, I don't believe what you just said is true. So mm-hmm. let's uh, we've got to start there. Um, maybe you I, move... maybe you haven't seen the IT market in the United States. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say the, the 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 technology market is a market where it's closest to being true. Yeah. But you 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 can't move happy people that are paid the appropriate wage for the market. You, you you can't do that. Like we we're not magicians. We can't whisper in people's ear and magic them away. Yeah. Um, we don't have that power. But we can present opportunities that pay more, that might have better incentives for them, that might have a better mission for them to be on. Um, and if you as a business can't 
unfortunately if you can't match that then they are probably likely to move but people do move for money but rarely so it's usually about them kind of feeling more involved more invested so um but look there are people that play the game badly there's no getting away from that um i've worked with a few of them <laughs> i don't work with them anymore um and i think where and that's where i think the distinction comes if, you, if you're genuinely an executive search person you will have off limits with your clients and you won't you know yeah. you can't place someone in a business and then with the other hand be raiding them for some talent it's just not the way the game should be played yeah um and i think there's a difference there the tech market is notoriously ruthless and, uh, and that's that's been my unfortunate um you know uh experience yeah. level is not with insurance placement it's been with no. technology and yeah. you just i've just watched these these tech headhunters just churn and churn and cherry pick from their own accounts and then move the people mm -hmm. they already moved in and recruit them back off i mean and, and you watch people bounce you know you know between jobs every 2 years and it and it creates just yeah. an incredible amount of trauma but uh but you know the, the reality is i'm also a regent at a public university and i've and, and i was a city councilor in my city and i have very 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 effectively used executive search in those roles um, and could not, by the way, have done my job without the executive search. So there's yeah. always, I, I've got a, I've got a flip side to every story. That's why I like to ask you where you've seen it. And of course you've seen it in tech as well. Um, uh, why do you think tech is so prone to this type of executive headhunting behavior? Um, well, firstly, I would draw a distinction. I would say that's kind of like contingent recruitment behavior. Contingent, correct. Or, not executive search, not retain. Yeah, it's not retained search. That, it's contingent yeah, search. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that's important because they are they are different methods of of, of attack, as it were, for for a, rec a recruitment professional. Um, the reason we've seen it is because the wage inflation is so dramatic in tech. Mm -hmm. So I mean, even in the last two years, you're talking about wage inflation of such a, a high level that it's very difficult for you as a business, you've hired some people, they've been with you two years, you've given them fair pay rises, but the market has decided that the new fair increase is 40% above what you're paying. So what do you do? And, and I have massive sympathy because you can't turn around and pay everyone 40% more or because you would have priced your contracting work, Correct. You all, pri all, priced all your you, products. You have to reprice all, all your customers, yeah. Exactly, it's all built in. So, so you've got to just unfortunately except that some people will get those opportunities externally that are paying 40 percent more and move um and i think that's why you've seen it in tech because it's it's you know the, the tech uh salaries have kind of been reflective of the tech you know opportunities in the kind of public investment markets i mean the, the growth has just been astronomical um i mean we, we we hear stories of the big you know the big tech companies hiring people straight from college and paying three hundred thousand dollars you know for the best for the best engineering talent and and you know what do you do with that i mean that would put you at sort of a fairly senior stack in an insurance company um and you know sometimes you'd be better off going to university and learning engineering than learning anything about insurance and, and sticking with it so um i think that's why we've seen it um but then it's interesting for me because in the us there are more recruitment companies in the whole of london than there are the whole of the us like, whoa yeah it is london is the most aggressive recruitment market in the world um 
Is that because it, it, is that because of birth rates and you just have like a straight up labor labor shortage? I mean, we're, we're seeing no, no. Just, in all honesty, yeah, we're seeing in Western Europe we're seeing birth rates so low that you end up with more workers retiring than workers coming into the labor market, right? So that 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 yeah. naturally compresses your available supply of talent. Is it is it is it just because it's a really mature industry there, or is it because? You, you literally are having labor shortages across multiple industry verticals. It's more of the latter that there's, there's, it's just a mature industry here. Um, it's a, it's, it's a much more mature industry. It's been around for a long time. And the problem, you know, uh, <laughs> it is like, it is like a, it, it's a very low barrier to entry business. So you can work in recruitment for a couple of years you probably know the bare basics you can leave you can set up in your bedroom and, and off you go so anyone that gets good at it probably usually looks to set up on their own so you've got this kind of constant evolution of new businesses coming in i mean there's something like 70 percent of all uh, recruitment businesses are less than 10 people so there's, it's lots of small businesses um but then there of course is, is a labor shortage as well i mean uh, i won't get too political but we've not been too um, astute in our education <laughs> system from a from a sort of top-down government perspective so we're lagging behind in things like engineering you know we, we we've got a bit of a mess of an education system with respect to kind of what's needed in 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 the current work environment so I, I think that's becoming more of an issue and then when we do stupid things like leave the eu and make that harder for everyone <laughs> um you know we, yeah. we're not yeah i can we, we've I can yeah. guess who's in any. <laughs> uh, if you're in business and you're not in, then you've either made too much money, so it's not a problem, or you're. Yeah, it's, it's, it's are, unlikely. Are, are, are you a very lucky person? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're a very lucky person. You're a very lucky person. Well, it's a great, great conversation. And again, I'm, I'm just asking these to kind of play devil's advocate, mm. right? Because you have. Uh, I've I've very I, I've used both contingent and executive search extensively over the last twenty years of running this business. I've had wonderful interactions with my search firms. Uh, I've seen some pretty nasty behavior, particularly in the IT sector. But I have very effectively used uh, search and insurance here in the United States for my own business, and mm. have gotten a lot of value out of it. So there's there's all it's all everything's always a two edged sword. You know, it's uh it's a it's an interesting business. So yeah. Rob Rob Galbraith, what you got? Yeah, Alex, so great to have you on. And um, I, I'm actually happy that the the microphone is uh, turned a bit uh, because you <laughs> are a host of a podcast, Alex, and I've had the pleasure of being a guest on, on your podcast. So um, I've got some hard-hitting questions here for you, but uh, very quickly, I wanted to give you the opportunity to just do a quick uh, plug of your podcast, tell people what it's about and where to find it. Oh, it's very kind of you. Yeah. So I run the, the Leadership and Insurance podcast. Uh, both of these fine gentlemen have been guests uh, at different times. Um, and uh, we talk about innovation and in insurance. Um, we wanted to call it the Innovation Insurance podcast, but one already exists. So don't subscribe to that one. Um, but we wanted to <laughs> we wanted to make sure that we were not um, excluding the traditional incumbent insurance industry because innovation happens across the industry and i think if you talk about if you put innovation in the title people leap to technology but we don't just talk about technological innovation we talk about innovative working practices we talk about how to do innovation at scale we talk about entrepreneurship so anything where there's a, a sort of innovative edge within the insurance space we have those guests on and it's it's typically c-suite execs from 
you know, the, the sort of uh, insure tech market, but we have people that we like to term as futurists and authors like yourself, Rob. And then we have people running kind of technology businesses like James. And, and so we've had a variety of people from the very, very big. We've had a, we've been lucky enough to get a few unicorns on through to the very small. As long as they're doing something interesting, then we, we always want to have them as a guest on the show. Yeah, that's fantastic. Definitely check it out. One of the my favorite conversations of the, the podcast that I've uh, had the pleasure to be a guest on. So thanks for the opportunity, uh, Alex. So let's talk about the state of talent in the insurance industry. And I'm really specifically interested. We've talked a little bit about some of the incumbents, but what sort of talent are insure tech startups looking to get and how can these startups be effective in attracting the talent? And I, I find it fascinating. You know, I think of people involved in startups and there's many examples of being you know, from outside the industry, right? We hear the term disruption, et cetera. But then I look at folks such as uh, my old employer, USA, their chief claims officer had been there 20 some years, you know, leaving the company to become the chief claims officer, similar position at Lemonade. And I've heard, you mm. know, recently that, you know, several of uh, the folks that had previously worked from, you know, kind of made that move underneath them. So it's, it's, it's fascinating, right? In the past, it would be maybe an Allstate or somebody else that would kind of, you know, take that talent, another incumbent, but we're starting to kind of see folks make the leap from incumbent insurers uh, to insure tech startups, but we also know that they're getting talent elsewhere so i would love to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts on that yeah it's been really interesting so i i i spent as we were saying sadly a long time in the, the recruitment sector in the insurance so 15 years and and the last five have been the last three truly but five i've been kind of you know touching base with the insure tech industry and, and and what they've wanted has changed over time um there's been this evolution and and, and it follows the kind of evolution of what we saw in the insure tech market so there was a lot of distribution plays and therefore, you needed people that could sell. You needed people who, who knew the insurance industry and could build partnerships. Um, so they were taking a lot of talent there. Um, and then now we're moving into a sort of product-led space where we're seeing a lot of kind of SaaS solutions and, and we're seeing a lot of kind of product-led people joining. Um, but we're also seeing a maturity of the market. So now there is a mature InsureTech market. So people are moving from InsureTech to InsureTech. Um, and I think both sides, insurance and technology businesses are a little bit in love with their own state of being so you know tech people sometimes think the insurance people don't understand and insurance people think that tech people don't understand and the truth is somewhere in the middle and you know the best teams are balanced teams and 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 i think you know talking about how can a startup attract talent it's about honesty and transparency. I think this is where people get into trouble, but this applies to big businesses as well. People will forgive you if you're lacking in certain elements. Like if you're joining a startup, you probably don't have the support you need. You might not even have all the tech that you need. You might not have the kind of numbers of people that you need, time in the day, and you're gonna work hard and probably get paid less than you should do. Um, that's fine as long as we're upfront and honest. So one of the things that we do with, with our business is that we always tell people, you construct a pitch deck for your investors. Why have you not got a pitch deck, which is specifically for your potential candidates to join your business? So, and what that is, is, is it, it's as honest and as raw as you can make it. You know, things like what's your runway and what's the, where are we going with this? Where do you see this in five years time? You know, what are we good at? And what are we not so good at? Where do we have gaps? And if you've got that on this document and if, if you can present it ahead of time, 
it doesn't become a problem down the line because people are not taken by surprise. So I think I think that more than anything is the most important thing. Um, and, and then just to acknowledge that your job once you start a startup business is to always be recruiting, like con constantly. Um, I place people that I've known for five years when I've never had a, the right role for them. And then five years down the line, I find it. Um, and the same is true of startups. I think you need to go to as many events as you can, as many meetups as you can. You need to kind of network on things like LinkedIn if it's possible to do so. Um, and like all these things, it feels like a lot, but I think recruitment's like lifting weights at the gym. Um, if you just decide right now we've got to hire or now I've got to get fit for the for the gym and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to like make magic happen, it doesn't happen. You know, it's very difficult to do. Um, but if you're connecting to 10, 20 people a day on LinkedIn that are relevant to, to you and your journey, or maybe you will be relevant down the line, when that opportunity comes and the right role comes and that person is in your network, then you're making your life a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, I love that analogy. You know, if you're going to run the marathon the <laughs> the weekend, right? Don't yeah, start yeah. training on Tuesday. Yeah, it makes, yeah. Uh, makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> I was laughing because I was supposed to do a marathon last weekend. I hadn't done the training, so I didn't do it. Uh <laughs> so let's, let's talk about this for a second. Um, most of your placements, right? When people are there, you're, you're, you're executive retained search, right? You're not doing a lot of contingency work. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so, it's, yeah, most of it. Yeah. Mo yeah. Most of it's executive retained. So you're, you're recruiting C-suite. Um, and most of your clients are insurance companies, not insure techs. Is that correct? No, most of my clients are now insure techs. It used to be insurance uh, carriers and brokers, but now it's it's almost exclusively insure techs. What are insure techs mainly looking for then? Like, what's the number one job title they're looking for with you? It's a fight at the moment between. Um, well, no, it's not a fight. No, what is it? It's business development. It's, it's business development people, um, because most of the insure techs are effectively selling. SaaS of some description, um, and they need salespeople that understand the insurance market. Um, or some, well, oh, some, some are happy for them not to, but they still need good salespeople, sales leadership, um, uh, and and th that might be in different geographies. But that applies whether we, whether we're talking about European businesses or um, US businesses. Um, the reason I hesitated is just there seems to be a huge demand for um, product people at the moment. Um, and I think that's a little bit reflective of the entrepreneur. The entrepreneurs we're seeing launching InsureTechs has changed slightly. And I think we're seeing more people leaving the insurance industry to start InsureTechs. And what they don't have is that technical product management skill set. So they're, they're looking to bring that in, whereas they've got the kind of distribution sales business development element. So um, it's just it's interesting how that the, the entrepreneur has changed the profile and therefore the kind of demand is shifted slightly on what people are looking for as the probably most common hire that we make. Sure. And, and it, and, um, look, it makes sense that sales is your, your, your chief demand, uh, in particular, if they're venture funded, because those are all valued off growth rate and they raise, yeah. they, they raise money off growth rate. They exit off growth rate. It's all growth rate of ARR, right? So that's the, yeah. uh, that's the entire objective. And they're all looking to grow faster and try and buy relationships and, uh, accelerate growth. Uh, you know, we're we're in a slightly different boat. We're, we're very interested in growth rate, but we're a bootstrap company, and so it makes you uh, make decisions a little bit a little bit differently because you're always 
looking at keeping a bit more of a balanced plate of uh, balancing sales, marketing, operations, support, and development uh, so that you can have a financially sustainable business. Um, and uh, so it's a little bit of a different mix. But certainly, growth is important. I'm always um, managing or dealing with something in sales every day, right? I, I'm an insurance tech. I've got two insurance software products. Uh, both SaaS, you know, one does certificate of insurance collection and tracking smart compliance. One does insurance claims management and now policy, and that's that's the terror claim. Uh, and it, they're built for TPAs and self-insured groups. So I am firmly uh, up up in that business. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, salespeople are hard to find, hard to come by. It's hard to find guys that can produce and close deals. Um, it doesn't always matter if they have insurance experience, right? Because uh, you can teach them enough to, to, but it's really hard to find people who are are uh, fearless and willing mm-hmm. to get on the phone and call people. What do you find makes a really great business developer? Because this, this, by the way, would apply to to uh, the broking business, as you would call it, what we call a broker. Um, you know, the, the same thing. What makes a great salesperson? Yeah, people who are always trying to buy a Rolodex, right? That's that's what people try and hire. And and, and I don't think I don't think it's relevant. Um, you know, it's about tenacity. It's about it's about having smart sales skills. It, it's knowing what a good sales process looks like. It's like knowing what a good methodology looks like. And you know, knowing how hand in hand sales goes with the rest of the business now. The best salespeople I know are involved in product conversations, they're involved in marketing conversations, they're involved in kind of strategic planning conversations. Because again, I think I think the way that we buy has, has changed. I think, I think what we're looking for is that genuine consultative sales. I think consultative sales has been overused as a term um, because it's been almost kind of like co-opted to mean selling but not aggressively <laughs> and i don't and i don't think that's true I, I think you can sort of aggressively consultatively sell um but gone are the days where it was about just jumping on the phone because we now know all the information that we need to know is pretty much at our fingertips so getting on a call without a why for your client you know you want to be open-minded but you at least want to have an idea as to why your service and or, or your product is is of value and then you need to be able to follow a process and and you know the the best the best people i meet quite often surprise me that they're incredibly successful in sales so some of it's a bit hidden you know they always come across like really slick uh they always interview well alex sales is sales is one of the highest turnover positions at tech companies because they interview so well they sell yeah. themselves so well, and then they got to come into your organization and often underperform so badly. You know, but, it, but some of that's a two-way street because because they have to take on face value what the product can do, and particularly if they're in a sector where they're not as knowledgeable. And then there's this like, right, we're mm. selling some I don't know claims software, and we're selling it to carriers, but we don't know that actually. All the carriers are in three-year deals with this like yes. massive tech company that actually dominates the market, and you can't sell it. And and the most, which the is most by the way, of, why I don't sell claim software to carriers. By the way, that's a, <laughs> well, exactly right, you, and you know that. But but there are people out there trying to build claim software to sell to carriers, and they probably don't know that. And then they get the salesperson and go, "We can't sell," and it's like, well, 
No, it's because no one can sell. I mean, I liken it to this. My my friend of mine used to work in um, pharmaceutical sales, and in the in the UK, obviously, we would have National Health Service. So if you want to sell pharmaceuticals, you have to sell it to the National Health Service. So he would have his like clutch of they have these trusts, which is like they group hospitals together and they'll be in a trust. And he had a his target list of of, of trusts to sell that this one drug, and the NHS just blanket went. For these trusts, we're not buying that drug, and and sometimes you can be. He's a great sales guy, but he's like, yeah, you can't. He's in a market where he's got certain clients, and none of them will buy it. And and I think so. I think it's. I think you're right. Of course, of course, you're right. You know, salespeople are better at selling themselves in interviews than the most people. Um, interviews are set up for people that like to talk, who can communicate well and tell stories. That's what interviews are. It's a swapping of stories. And so, yeah, more often than not, they underperform against that story. But I do think it's there's 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 plenty of good people um, that 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 fall between the cracks because they they buy into the company and actually it's a product that can't be sold. But that's where referencing becomes important. That becomes you know if if this person's done that three times in a row, then you kind of got to worry about their judgment anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think that's why you have to take the whole history into account. You're, you're allowed a couple of misfires that you can blame on the company and then it, then it's definitely about you. Yeah, no, I, I, it makes sense. You know, biz dev, um, sales, I, I will say I've met a ton of founders. Some are very effective at selling their company, but just as many in my experience, if maybe, you know, more than, uh, uh, other startups, like the founder actually isn't the most effective salesperson for his or her company. Um, mm. and you know, they can be brilliant. They can have a vision, whatever, but they, they're not always the most effective, quite frankly, in articulating that particularly as somebody that's been on that enterprise, uh, client, you know, seen hundreds, if not thousands of, of pitches over 25 years, had the budget authority, right. Had to kind of decide, you know, which ones are we buying? Why, what's the, the sales process that look like? So, um, definitely something that founders, I think often have a blind spot uh, in terms of how effective they are and, and versus getting, like you said, folks that are really qualified in enterprise sales, things like that. I'm curious, what are just brought more broadly, like what are the biggest lies uh, that founders tell themselves about recruiting? I, I, look, to be a founder, you've got to be really passionate um, and you've got to really believe you're going to be successful. And I, th and I think one of the biggest lies that people tell themselves when they're recruiting is that that people coming into the business have to care about the business as much as you do. Cause it's not possible. They're not a co-founder. They don't have, they don't have the stake that you do. Um, it's not their baby, you know, like it, 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 so that's, I think that's, and I think most of the problems and the lies actually stem from that, that, that one instance. Um, another big one is that, you know, Oh, the sort of, we only hire the best of the best of the best. And then they're not using any external recruitment support. They're hiring from within their own network. Um, can't possibly be true. But and I know we're going to talk about that as a standalone thing, so I'm not going to dive into to that too much. No, go for it. But, uh, no, I, that was going to be my next question. Go for it. Yeah, well, I, well, I want to just come back, come back to the sort of business owner thing as well, though, because I think, I think it, it, it's in line with the selling question. Like, so the best best people at sales actually listen more than they sell. Um, and I think when you're trying to sell to talent, um, you need to listen. Like, it's mostly about my job is mostly about listening to what people truly want, and and trying to read between, asking, spending enough time with them, 
asking enough questions that I go, okay, in this next move, this person wants X, Y, Z, and it could be more freedom. It could be more flexibility. It's very rarely about money. It's almost always about some sort of personal mission. And the example I would use is this, right? So let's say you've got a, there's a few insure techs coming out now that are tackling climate change and using insurance as a vehicle, you know, whether it's kind of related to kind of carbon capture or, or something like that. So the mission is actually tackling climate change. But some of them are using really, really advanced machine learning and analytics. If you're an engineer joining that business, you might your mission personally might be to advance the use of machine learning and artificial intelligence just as a as a as a tool but they're selling you on this climate change agenda and it just might not resonate with you at all so um i think that that is the biggest lie anyone tells themselves is is that everyone's doing this for the same reason that i am um and we talk lots about missions and people have to be on the mission. And look, I understand that people do need to pull, pull in the same direction, but that direction just needs to be forward. And it doesn't matter if they're doing it for slightly different reasons. Like, you know, they, they, they all want to get home from the space shuttle. It doesn't matter like if their reasons are different to yours, as long as we're going back to earth, you know, that's, that's the kind of like uh, the, the sort of lazy analogy I like to use. Um, but uh yeah, I, I think the, the the best of the best of the best is 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 I, I could do a whole mono monologue for about an hour on this, I think. Um but it's particularly insidious at the moment because you know everyone's obviously rightly trying to address diversity, equity, inclusion in imbalances, particularly with the insurance industry. Tech's slightly better, but not much. Um, insurance is particularly bad. Um, I think like 70, there's some like, the, the statistics are staggering, which is like essentially there's more women working in insurance than there are men, but there's this minuscule percentage of businesses that are led by um, women. Um, the same for um, women getting investment, you know, women trying to start insure techs are getting very little investment. And, and, and so we're seeing the same challenges. Um, so people are kind of rightly starting new insurtech businesses and then saying like, this is key, this is important to us, this is a driver for us. And then they're also saying that we get the best and the best of the best talent. But then you talk to those businesses and my job is to talk to these businesses every day. It's like, where are you getting your talent from? Oh, internal referrals or referrals from our, um, or referrals from our investors. Now, if we're saying the investor pool is not very diverse, and it isn't. It probably looks like us three on this call, which is, you know, a bunch of middle-aged white guys, um, <laughs> right? That's the investor pool. And then if we're saying that that investor pool is favoring investing money in people that look like the three people on this call, and then you're using your networks and their networks to fill your talent pools, it is not possible that either you're getting the best of the best of the best because you don't know everybody, and, and it's definitely not possible that you're doing your best for DE&I, which is this is where it links back into these are the lies we're telling ourselves. Now, I'm not deluded. Mm -hmm. It's expensive to use people like me. Um, it's It takes a certain period of time. Um, there are, it's a cash flow consideration more than anything else as well, because that money has to be paid, you know, upfront at that time. Um, so I'm, 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 I'm comfortable with that. But, but the delusion, I think, impacts the fact that people do anything about it. And there are practical steps that people can take to do something about it. 
But if they're deluding themselves that going, we're getting the best of the best of the best, and we're solving our kind of diversity, equity, inclusion with our selection, they're actually not addressing it and they're never going to address it because they're not putting the foundations down to kind of address it in their process, in their procedures. Um, and uh, yeah, just it, I, I have to kind of draw the line to get too angry about it, but it, but it really, really drives me up the wall um, because that comes back to that honesty pitch as well. The amount of pitches I see that going, oh, why should you come work for us? It's because like, we're addressing the diversity, equity, inclusion imbalances. Uh, we hire the best of the best of the best. And then I speak to these people, where did you get those people? Oh, we put some adverts up on LinkedIn. Um, we spoke to a couple of guys we knew down the pub and that's their team. <laughs> you go, cool. <laughs> so you're saying that they got the best of the best of their network. Exactly. Yes. And, and, pro and probably not even that. You know, probably not even that. You know, let's let's be honest. Like you, you know, you. It's the best people in their network that happen to want to move job at that point in time. That also happen to want to kind of do the mission that you're on, like which is an ever decreasing funnel of people. Um, and look, you. It's obvious that yeah, you can only hire people that want to come and work with you. But it's it's a really nearly narrow pool. Um, and it's hard, uh, you know, I have empathy, but you can't claim those things and do it that way. You can just you, do right. it that way. Well, you quite you, you can, you just sound like a hypocrite, right? Like yeah. It's a, yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. And, and it, and it doesn't get called out enough, but, but the reason I, I, I'm so passionate about it is because, because of that, the element I talked about before, which is if you say you're doing something and I don't think people are saying it flippantly, I think they mean it i think they think they're addressing it if you're not actually putting the, the steps in place to, to address those things then those things become insidious in your business so you then grow a business which is not diverse and then you and you also kind of you know which is damaging to your business as well we know diverse businesses are more successful over time so um it's the reason I'm kind of so passionate about it is it it, it, it can become quite toxic um and we're already starting to see it all right, awesome discussion. Uh, I'm gonna need to move to news, but before I do, I have one shorter question for you. That I've, I've actually never asked on the show, but I think I need to start asking <laughs> it regularly. It has nothing to do with business. Nothing. This is this is a personal question. Wow. What is your favorite guilty pleasure to watch online? What is your favorite guilty pleasure that you want to share? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to share, I'm going to share mine with you. I'm going to share mine with you because it's British. I am, okay. I am, I am an Anglophile. Okay. I love all things British. Yeah. I mean, I love all things British. I like British, I, I like British traditions, British food. I, I grew up on British TV. I grew up on, I, I grew up on Black Adder, Red Dwarf, uh, Doctor Who. I, I grew up on, are you being served? I grew up on all of these great British shows. Okay. Yeah. But I am hooked on a British show that's not on British TV. It is on Facebook. It is a guy. It is a. <laughs> this is so terrible. And and you, and you can and you can make fun of me for this. It's yeah. called it's called the Hoof GP, and what this guy does is he goes I've seen it. he goes to farms and he trims cows' hooves. Yeah, and he is so funny, and it is so yeah. interesting that I can't stop watching it. 
I mean, yeah. it's fascinating the stuff that this guy gets into traveling around the British countryside trimming cow's hooves. Yeah. Um, sadly, I've seen a lot of that myself. I find it <laughs> fascinating. Fascinating. Um, I, I stumbled upon it and then I guess caught, caught, went down this wormhole of watching hundreds of those videos. Yes. It's just so good. I, I, I'm just fascinated that someone's got a job doing that. It's just like I know. And how much does he make? You, the executive, the headhunter, you've got to wonder how much does this guy make. Yeah, I, mean, I always wonder that about <laughs> everyone I meet. So it's, it's it's part of the job. You see, unfortunately, you do size people up. It's like a carpenter looking at a staircase and I'm wondering how it's made. A headhunter meets someone and goes. I've never heard of that job. Wonder what they make. <laughs> am, am, am I in the wrong mark? But you answer, to answer your question, um, I was torn between telling you about a film that I'm slightly obsessed with, which is so out of character. I'll tell you about both. So I'm obsessed with horror films. I um, mm. I work at a, the biggest horror film festival in Europe every year. I actually take time off work to do it. I, I look after. I do their stage management, so I look after the guests that turn up, which is quite funny because in any other festival, that would be like really famous people. But because it's horror, it's usually people you've never heard of. But I'm the nerd that's like, <laughs> I spotted in a crowd with my partner at the time. And I said, that's the main character from Human Centipede 3. And she was like, one, I didn't know there was three of them. Two, I'm horrified that you know that. And I'm just, <laughs> like, from distance, from like 250 feet, I was like, yeah, that's the guy. And she's like, you're so weird. And and I, but I work in this field. I love it. So that's my guilty pleasure. But then that's the thing I always talk about. So I, to relax, I watch um, all sorts of horror films. Um, uh, and then the film I really is my guilty pleasure because I'm always embarrassed about saying um, uh, I love it. Is a, is a film, is it? A comedy because I write comedy, I perform stand up, and and I write uh, for fun. I write screenplays and stuff. And uh, there's a film called uh, Crazy Stupid Love, which is Steve Carell and Ryan Gosling and Julianne yeah. Moore. I genuinely think it's a perfect comedy. Like I don't think there's a wasted scene in it. I think everything is funny. And if I'm ever having a bad day, that is the thing I put on. But it, it's not the most masculine film. It's like you know, okay. even, my, even my girlfriend's like, do you want me to get you a big jar of ice cream? And are you going to sit there and drink some rosé? And I'm like, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, that would be yeah, lovely. Yeah, Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Like, I love yeah. it. I love Emma Stone. Like, I thought I think Emma Stone is brilliant. And yeah. um, I, I loved La La Land because I'm really I'm into musicals. Now, I'll say this. I, I can't stand horror. Because honestly, it gives me nightmares, and I don't sleep. Like I, I it's yeah. it's not it's not because I like I want to not like it. I, I literally, my brain is not wired to be able to deal with the scenarios that they go through. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I I love a good rom com. Uh, I love a really good non horror sci fi because horror and sci fi end up getting lumped together a lot. Yeah. Um, it really Very irritates sure. me on like Netflix when they group horror and sci-fi. I'm like, you should not group those two together. Um, yeah. but they do. Uh, but that's that's fascinating. Rob, Rob do you, you don't have to share, but do you, do you do you want to share here? I, I have to say, I'm a big sports nut, so not necessarily a guilty pleasure, right? But um, American football, right? Uh, yeah. World football. I've really gotten into the Premier League this year, and the Champions League has obviously been going on. Um, big hockey fan from my days in, in, in Michigan, 
big NBA fan, obviously being here San Antonio nice. Spurs just got eliminated from the playing game. Big NFL fan, of course, right? I don't like baseball. Like the summers tend to get a bit lean, especially with the World Cup now being in like November and December this year, other mm. than the, the summer when it's typically proper. So, you know, I don't consider any of that guilty pleasure. So I actually don't watch a lot of films. I don't watch a lot of shows. I guess I would say that... Um, I'm with you, James. I'm actually, I really don't like horror. Like a little bit of, there, there, there's like kind of a, a suspense to gore ratio that's right for me. If it's got a lot of suspense and a little bit of gore, like I'm okay. But at a certain point, it kind of like, you know, it tips the balance. So I guess I would say that I like the the early versions of things like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Or I just saw the, the, um, the trailer for Stranger Things 4. And it's like, I love the original Stranger Things. Like it was just a lot of drama. But then like increasingly it's two, three. And now seeing the trailer for four, like they just up the gore ratio because they have to kind of constantly like one up. If you think about the, like the last Harry Potter versus like the early, oh, they got their acceptance letter to Hogwarts, right? And yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah. So yeah, I always hit kind of a tipping point where it's like too much for me. My kids will watch it. My 12 year old, I mean, they love it, right? But like, it's actually too mm. much for me. So I don't know that's like an inverse of a guilty pleasure, but I always like the sweet, innocent uh, beginnings of many of these franchise series. There you go. Yeah. There, there, there you go. Well, let's, let's move on to news. That's our guilty pleasure. Pleasures. Uh, we got to be really quick on the news. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, stories here. Um, number number one, uh, Rob, uh, and I, I had to mention this because it's you, and it came up on my InsureTech feed. Uh, is a former employee of yours, AF Group, uh, got into a, a transaction, um, and uh, they they entered an agreement to purchase Ameritrust Group, and so I saw that uh, happen this week. There was a a, a transaction there. Um, where Ameri- they, they're, they're welcoming Ameritrust expertise in property casualty space to further their specialty in work comp products and lines of insurance. And so just a little mention there about uh, AF Group. And um, also in InsureTech News, uh, this is a really interesting one. Insurance brokerage platform Newfront uh, raised $200 million dollars. Um, so usually our announcements are like 10 million, 15, 20. Um, this was led by a growth equity business within Goldman Sachs. Um, Newfront is try- say, says they're trying to transform uh, delivery risk management, employee experience, insurance, and retirement solutions in a modern insurance platform. So they raised 200 million on that front. So I just had to mention that. Rob? Yeah, I thought you were gonna quote that very famous kind of Austin Powers, right? British like I was a Dr. Evil, the two hundred million, million dollars. dollars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I've got a couple of quick items as well. Uh, this one kind of caught my eye. Um, this is from Coverager that the uh, specialty car insurer Haggerty, based in Traverse City, Michigan, they do a lot of antique classic cars. Yep. Uh, have actually, ironically, always been a very innovative insurance company. They acquired speed digital which is a provider of cloud technology solutions for dealers auction houses collectors and enthusiasts so speed digital is founded in 2019 they help uh, 200 plus dealers manage over 8200 collector cars in inventory for sale helps them manage their car collection digitally uh, it's behind an online marketplace and so i just found this fascinating that um, it was a straight out acquisition so the type of thing that it makes a lot of sense like speed digital Haggerty, I'm sure there's some type of, you know, 
partnership, relationship, referrals, right? That you, you, you can see where the synergy, but the fact that Haggerty, right, is this kind of traditional insurance company is making the outright acquisition, I found, you know, quite interesting and, and innovative. So I'd be curious to kind of see, you know, where they take that. And then uh, this one, and Alex would love your thoughts on this one from the insurance journal, but um, they cite, uh, this is one or two days in the office is the sweet spot of Harvard work. They're citing a study that was in uh, Harvard Business Review that said um, people that spent between 25 and 40% of their time in the office um, evidently turned out more original work than other groups. And their finding was that the difference was significant. So we've talked a little bit on this podcast about return to work, not everyone's all in and going back to the office. People do want to do business travel, go to some of these in-person conferences that are going on, but I think they're a little skeptical about going back to that kind of open floor plane cubicle environment, you know, being interrupted uh, 20 times a day by your colleagues. So Alex, I'm curious, kind of your thoughts. Do you agree with this one to two days in the office? Is that what you're hearing or is this not necessarily aligned with what you're hearing with some of the folks you talk with? Yeah, I think anecdotally, that's absolutely what people are doing. Um, I think you'd be very hard pressed to get people in the office five days a week now. I just don't think anyone's interested in tolerating it. Um, and it's even opened up the conversation about, do we need to work five days a week? You know, should, could we work four? Because there's been some great studies done in Europe where productivity went up um in highly productive countries um in scandinavia where they did four day weeks and people did more work so four day week two days in the office um revolutionary but surely it's kind of got to lean towards that but um yeah anecdotally people are interestingly i think everyone fell in love with the kind of work from home but um there's not been everybody <laughs> yeah well yeah there, there, there has definitely been a kind of return to work and people have enjoyed that um but i think people are viewing the work time differently so it's interesting you said about creative work because i think having that piece of having your own time at home where you're uninterrupted to kind of get on with productive work and and then having some colleagues to kind of bounce ideas around i think that balance is absolutely uh, correct i mean that's definitely what we're going to be doing. Um, we're moving offices at the moment, but I think the the plan is to have a clubhouse and, and we won't have, you know, we won't be growing out a business where people are in five days a week. I just, I just don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, I think the, uh, we, we're seeing a lot of companies uh, pulling back to the office now uh, mm -hmm. a, a lot more aggressively uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, and they're for people who are deciding to move away and permanently uh, go work from home, they're starting to cut pay and change benefits and not pay Californians, California wages when they're in Idaho. And, you know, the, the, the brutal, cold, hard reality is settling in. Um, of course, uh, I public uh, tech prices have also impacted that too, right? Uh, when they're, when their stock prices and a good bit lower that impacts what they're what they're going to pay people so uh interesting conversation great thanks for the news rob and alex bond cousin to james bond thank you for being on our show really appreciate you being here no thank you gents i really enjoyed uh talking to you and it's uh it's nice to be on the other end of uh the the, the podcasting so thank you it very is. much uh, absolutely rob galbraith always good to see you always great to see you james great conversation alex so glad you could join us this has been the insure tech geek podcast uh, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton-Alro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. 
We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.